Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And this is Cindy Meyer, as the introduction said, and I welcome you to the Spirit Seeker Hour. This uh, show has been hosted in this format for over four years, and the minute the show is complete, it becomes a virtual blog. So we know you're listening at all hours of the day and night, and we appreciate you letting your friends and family know about the wonderful shows. There are over 400 archive shows, and um, we just are grateful for our listeners, and we're grateful for the readers of Spirit Seeker magazine that makes this show possible each and every month. Um, Spirit Seeker is has been online since 1998, but it's been published for 20 years. And uh, you can find us in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City uh, as a print magazine. And then uh, we have readers all all over because we've been um, we have an email newsletter, we have a weekly news uh, weekly radio show, and then the monthly magazine. And um, what my last announcement before I bring my guest on. Um, is that if you would like to be added to our Secret Sanct email list, uh, we do not, you know, let anyone use our list. Um, but we would let you, we let you know when uh, the magazine's online and who the radio show guests are and wonderful events like you're going to be hearing about tonight. Um, so all you have to do is send an email to info at spiritseeker.com, and then we will add you to that email list. Um, we also do free giveaways, you know, because we get so many books and CDs and beautiful, beautiful things that arrive um, because of the magazine, and we bless our listeners and we bless our readers. So uh, periodically, your name will be entered for drawings. Okay, so tonight is a two-hour show. <clears throat> the first hour, we will be hearing about the uh, International uh, and Scientific Global Pyramid Conference, and we have two uh, guests that will be speaking on, uh, on on the upcoming conference. The first half hour will be Dr. Robert Gilbert, <clears throat> and the second half hour will be uh, Reverend Normandy Ellis. And we will go straight from the first hour. There will be a slight pause, and then we'll go into the second um, hour of the show with Beatrix Quintana, who is our uh, regular first of the Tuesday uh, guest every month. Okay, so here we go. I am excited. For anyone that knows, Cindy Meyer knows, I've always been fascinated with the pyramids and uh, ancient sites. And Dr. Robert Gilbert is an, uh, quite knowledgeable and expert in the field of Egyptian and French vibrational discoveries, pyramids, and sacred sites. He uh, is going to be sharing with us about the little-known French vibrational discoveries, which identified the complete spectrum of subtle vibrations uh, for the first time and how these discoveries have revealed hidden energies designed into the pyramids and other sacred geometry forms. Dr. Gilbert has extensively studied the spiritual knowledge and practices of many different world spiritual traditions in order to create his trainings in a clear, concise, and unified new spiritual science. Um, <clears throat> he will be a speaker, as I said, at the upcoming conference, and I am going to bring Dr. Gilbert on now. Dr. Gilbert, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello. 
Okay. Thank you for joining me tonight. And I just, I'm just fascinated. I was in um, Egypt in 2008, and um, but just I could go back again and again. There was just too much to absorb in one trip. But um, but let's let's just hear. You can take it for wherever you want to go. And periodically, I'll I'll ask questions and listeners. If you have a question, you just push one star on your phone, and then I will um, bring you on with your questions. Okay. So so. Let's hear your story and how you got involved in on this wonderful work. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, actually, in an odd way, it began in the early 1980s when I was an instructor in the U.S. Marine Corps in the nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare survival field. And at that time, I was studying aspects of biology, chemistry, physics that are related to these types of systems. And also got me very interested in holistic health types of issues and as I began to look into the foundations of modern physics, biology, chemistry, I found that many of the patterns that are used in these modern scientific disciplines were actually known to the ancient spiritual traditions of the world. And their knowledge of these core patterns of creation we refer to today as sacred geometry. But it was ref- taught in many different spiritual traditions all over the world, and I went through a number of years where I did one-to-one matches between particular discoveries in biology, chemistry, and physics of particular patterns that had been identified and what had been known in pattern information in these early uh, traditions. That then led to my doing an entire body of work in sacred geometry and in time to finding Dr. Ibrahim Karim from Cairo, Egypt, who is the founder of a modern system from Egypt called biogeometry, or the effect of geometric forms on life energy or living beings. And in fact, he was the head of a group at the Egyptian National Research Center in the 1990s that studied the effect of geometric forms on life functions. And he's a very fascinating person. So it was through Dr. Karim that I became aware of his work in biogeometry, and the way that waves coming from geometric forms can affect living beings. And he also made me aware of the work from the first part of the 1900s, particularly around the 1930s, by an almost forgotten group of French researchers that did an incredible body of vibrational research and made really breakthrough discoveries. But unfortunately, as their work really began to... uh, coalesce and come together into an amazing body of knowledge, that was the beginning of World War II, so that you then had in the late 30s and into the early 40s uh, all of the events of World War II and the occupation of France by the Nazis, and uh, really the entire body of research never really recovered from that. So I spent quite a few years finding many of the rare hard to find today, text from the French researchers, uh, had over a dozen of them translated into English through a friend of mine in a project, and uh, have at this point gotten online as an online training course where anyone can learn how to use some of the most essential and important of the French discoveries to be able to test exactly what types of subtle radiations or vibrations are coming from any person, place, or thing. And I've also been very fortunate 
to be able to work with Dr. Karim for the last 15 years and to be allowed to teach as well his work in Egyptian biogeometry. So what, okay, I, I am not familiar with biogeometry. So, um, and, and also this conference that is coming up in Chicago um, <clears throat> on May 13th through 15th, I mean, the group of people coming together is pretty amazing. Um Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I mean, you know, and this, so so I do want to hear about biogeometry, but I also would just, like, how do you, how is it that the French were, like, so fascinated with this? Do you know how that all came to be? Yes. Our current knowledge of being able to read hieroglyphs, of course, goes back to the French. The French were the first ones to crack the code in the 1800s to be able to read the hieroglyphs. And that also goes back to the Napoleonic expeditions to France, where they brought many uh, amazing uh, archival items back from Egypt into France, some of which are still in the Louvre Museum in Paris and elsewhere in Europe. Uh, And they took with them on the expedition artists and scientists, and they made amazing drawings and preserved a lot of information during the Napoleonic expeditions to Egypt of the sacred sites there. And so the French were really the spearhead in Europe of penetrating into the old Egyptian mysteries. And again, they allowed us to be able to read the Egyptian hieroglyphs, which no one had been able to read for thousands of years. Uh, So what was actually going on there at the time that this French research was going on is that in the early 1900s, there was a group of French-speaking priests in France and Switzerland, and these priests were using a type of vibrational testing that they called radiesthesia. And it uses pendulums and other devices, but in a way very, very different than you see people using pendulums today. People today tend to use pendulums for things like mental dowsing, where they ask a mental question, and the movement of the pendulum will give them an answer to the mental question. But what the French were doing is they were using pendulums that were tuned to specific vibrations or frequencies and testing for the presence or absence of those subtle vibrations from different sources. That had been very secret information for a long time, thousands of years, And there's evidence that this was known and practiced in ancient Egypt because many of these types of pendulums have been found in archaeological digs. They're referred to in Egypt as the Waj pendulum. And in Europe, it's called the Egyptian pendulum. And there are samples of this type of pendulum that have been found in archaeological digs. And they're in museums all over Europe. And they are tagged a ritual item because they don't know what they are. But this type of vibrational testing with pendulums was something from ancient Egypt, and it had really passed through the ages into this group of French-speaking priests. And for the first time in the early 1900s, they published the information on how to use their system of vibrational testing in French. And at that time, it became available to the public. So people that were interested in what was happening at that time in the world, because that was the beginning of what we have today with our modern electromagnetic technology. You just began the process of the electromagnetic grid in the late 1800s. And so at this time, there's a great explosion of scientific knowledge and exploration. So one particular Frenchman named Louis Turin, who was a radio wave engineer, 
took the information coming from these priests about how you test these subtle vibrations. And because he was a radio wave engineer, he knew that we are being exposed to and affected by an entire range of invisible vibrations that we don't know even exist unless we have an instrument to detect them. But he also knew that our current electromagnetic equipment is too crude to be able to pick up all of these subtle vibrations. So Louis Turin studied for decades these types of subtle vibrations and created an entire system to be able to identify the complete spectrum of invisible vibrations that are too subtle to be picked up by electromagnetic equipment, but that affect living beings in their energy and their consciousness all the time. And so at that point, when he published his work, more people picked it up in France. And that led to this identification of what I call the complete vibrational spectrum. Just like we have an electromagnetic spectrum, they were able through this research to identify all of these invisible vibrations that affect living beings, but again are too subtle to be picked up by electromagnetic equipment. And with that, they researched many, many things, but that included aspects of what they were uh, interested in from ancient Egypt. So they could study the sites in ancient Egypt and the relics from ancient Egypt for exactly what vibrations they were built to hold and to radiate. You know, this is fascinating because think about the technology from this many, you know, thousands of years ago. I mean, and, you know, when I was in uh, one of the ancient ruins, and I looked at all of the medical instruments that we're using today, like there they all were, you know, like like they were so advanced in so many ways. And, um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm a feng shui consultant, and I'm trained in uh, biobiology, which is um, – mm-hmm. you're oh, yeah. probably familiar with it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people just are not aware of the effects of the EMFs and all the different um, – you know, different things that happen from frequencies and, you know, and especially now with all the cell phones and, you know, and then you look at you look at the work that they've done with dolphins and sonar and how intelligent those beings are, you know, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's just absolutely astonishing to me. I mean, like how much is ancient and we're just rediscovering it. And when you're saying <laughs> our, our methods are too primitive, you know, and it, it's true, you know, it's, it's just fascinating, but it's nice that the French shared this knowledge. You know, they could have kept that kind of like under wraps, but it's it sounds like, you know, they're way ahead of the game with, with sharing, and that's what this conference, you know, do you want to talk just about the conference? I mean, I, I, can, I can tell a little bit, but um, would you like to share anything about the conference? And have you... Sure. Uh, yeah, this is the first one of a kind, so... Yes, and so... Uh... My friend Marta Thomas is putting it together, and the information is at globalpyramidconference.com. I'm going to be presenting on the Saturday of the conference. The conference runs from May 13th through the 15th in Chicago, and I'm presenting on the second day, Saturday, May the 14th in the morning. And my particular presentation is going to be, as you said, on the French and Egyptian vibrational discoveries and how it relates to the pyramids and the sacred sites and how we can actually directly test and identify the exact vibrational forces that the French were working to harness through the pyramids and through their sacred science. So with that, I'll be going into more detail about the specific aspects of how the French did their work, the energies they discovered, 
and how that work was then taken further in modern times. In a sense, it went back to Egypt through the work of Dr. Ibrahim Karim in modern biogeometry to add in uh, another very important vibrational quality, that one that had escaped the French before and really completed the vibrational spectrum of all these invisible energies that affect us all the time. Did they, um, did they also research the sound healing chambers and the solfeggio um, frequencies and, and the harmonics? Did they study that as well? Or? Some of them looked into the sound healing aspects. And, of course, at the same time, there was work going on, particularly from Germany, with the work of cymatics from Hans Jenny and looking at the correspondence between particular sound vibrations and certain geometric shapes so that through the work of Hans Jenny around that time in Germany, by putting a sound vibration into a powder or a liquid, they could create an experimental setup so that, for instance, the powder would then immediately form into a specific geometric shape based on the sound frequency put into it. Now, a major concept of the French was something that they called the shape-caused wave, which is that a vibration can be emanated from a particular geometric form. And particularly relevant to this conversation about the Global Pyramid Conference and the uh, use of the pyramid in the Egyptian sacred science, one of the discoveries of the French is that certain geometric forms will hold or radiate very powerful vibrational qualities that can be harnessed and directed for different purposes. One of the most important and most powerful of all of the invisible vibrations that they identified in the complete spectrum of vibrations that affect all living beings was something that they gave the, the name negative green. And the term negative green has confused a lot of people for a lot of years. So I'll simply refer to it as a carrier wave of energy. It's an invisible carrier wave of energy that can be identified through the testing equipment that the French use and that we use today in our vibrational testing courses. And one of the geometric forms that emanates it is the form of the pyramid. In fact, what we called pyramid power back in the 1970s, pyramid power is actually the power of this specific invisible carrier wave that's generated by the pyramid form and also by a hemisphere form, like a dome. In the ancient world, they used the form of the pyramid as a place of spiritual initiation. And in modern times, they use the form of the dome over the synagogue, the mosque, the cathedral. And so the dome has a very specific energetic emanation, just like the pyramid does. And what the French discovered is that the vibrational emanation from what they called this mysterious negative green vibration, this carrier wave, is that it could penetrate thicknesses of lead that could not be penetrated by x-rays it could transmit energy and information from one place to another place and go straight through solid matter. And so the identification of these invisible vibrations by the French allowed them to start identifying very specific things in the use of the sacred science of ancient Egypt and how the pyramids were built and how they amplified the energies on the sacred site in Giza. And later researchers, like one particular Russian researcher that I'll talk about at the conference, uh, did further research using their method and their tools. And he found that within the entire band of this carrier wave vibration of negative green was a particular sweet spot or sub-band that uh, really maximized 
the potential of the carrier wave and could activate spiritual aspects of a human being's consciousness. And this work was taken then quite a bit further by my friend Dr. Ibrahim Karim in Cairo, Egypt, in his development of the biogeometry system. This is just amazing. You know, this is like superhero powers when you, I know that sounds terrible, but, <laughs> it but, it, but it really, I mean, the military, I can see where you started off with the military with, you know, bio warfare, basically, and helping us be prepared. And then your work, you know, totally evolved into this whole other realm of, I mean, it's, it's spiritual, it's, it's ancient, and I mean, to think that you can put these symbols in a powder and all of a sudden it's powerized, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yes, uh, there's an ancient tradition, particularly from India, uh, where they talk about in their spiritual initiation practices that they'll use mantra and yantra. The mantra is the sacred sound vibration. The yantra is the geometric form. And they've always said for thousands of years that the yantra, the geometric image, is actually the exact same vibration as the mantra, only expressed in physical matter in shape rather than being expressed in sound. And it's through this type of research that this has been directly validated because through the cymatics work in, in Germany, they could put a particular sound vibration into the powder and it would immediately form into a very specific geometry. So we're really dealing with a universal vibrational science that can be applied through sound, that can be applied through shape, that can be applied through movement and many different things. And for me, the beauty of the French discoveries was that their system of testing invisible vibrations allows you to test the complete spectrum of these invisible vibrations that frankly are not known in their entirety in any other system in such a way that it doesn't matter if the source is sound or shape or coming from a person's energetic field. Whatever the source is, you can pick up the universal vibrational quality within that spectrum. It's just, it's just absolutely fascinating. And, you know... I, I was thinking yantras before you said it, and um, I have a very dear friend who has taken groups to India for over 20 years, and, you know, she, mm-hmm. her spiritual teachers, you know, you know, have given her different different mantras and different assignments, and they gave her this powder one time, and they said, when you meet your beloved, then you will use this powder and not before. So she carried <laughs> around this powder for, I kid you not, 15 years. It took 15 mm. years before she met her beloved, and I've never asked her because I just knew it was very personal. But, um, but you know, another bit of, of information, is, and you may know this, but, you know, the swastika that Hitler used was an ancient Hindu symbol, and he reversed it. And every time he did his Heil Hitler, he was using that symbol that was an ancient, ancient geometric form from India that he was very, like, I mean, he misused it, obviously, but he knew Mm -hmm. the power of that. Well, this is a very interesting aspect. Within the work of biogeometry today, one of the principles that Dr. Kareem identified is something called virtual rotation. Virtual rotation is that when an object physically rotates, it creates a center. And that center has a very powerful energetic quality that can actually be applied for all kinds of purposes, whether spiritual or healing or what have you. That's a big topic in itself. But with particular shapes, they can have something called virtual rotation. And that is that it creates an energy field 
of something rotating, even though the form itself is static. So in the ancient Yantra language of India, they actually had both forms of the swastika with a left-hand spin and a right-hand spin that had to do with the energies that take things out of the physical plane and out of creation or that bring things into creation based on the direction of the spin or of the vortex being formed. But this is all related to, I mean, all this knowledge can be used beneficially or it can be abused, but this is really the sacred science like they knew in ancient Egypt, which is the way that even static geometric forms, whether two-dimensional like a yantra or three-dimensional like a pyramid, can be designed in such a way that they create powerful energetic fields that have very precise applications. So, for example, in the French work, when they talk about this penetrating carrier wave of energy that they identified for the first time, and you don't see any clear description of it in any other system or any other way to test for it other than through their system, one thing that they identified is that within that penetrating carrier wave of negative green, there was an aspect that was very beneficial, and there was an aspect that could be quite dangerous. And when you test the energy coming off of a pure pyramid, uh, pure pyramidal form with no modifications, it actually has both types of vibration in it from that band of energy. But if you go to the Great Pyramid, there's an extremely subtle indentation straight down the center of all four major faces of the Great Pyramid. And it's so subtle that most people don't even see it. You have to see it either from the air or with very specific sun positions, even to see that they put the subtle indentation down the center of all four faces. And the amazing thing is that when you then test the energy coming from the pyramid, after that indentation is added down the center of the faces, it takes away all the detrimental component and leaves only the beneficial. So this shows you the level of knowledge they had in Egypt for tuning these types of designs and also making it resonate with the earth energies, which was the primary thing they were working with. The shapes are actually meant to amplify and direct the earth energies of these major sacred power spots. This is fabulous. This is just, you know, I mean, thank you, Marta Thomas. Thank you for putting this together and bringing all of these great minds together. You know, I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can just tell by your energy level that, you know, you you love what you're doing and your passion for this mm-hmm. ancient knowledge. And, I mean, you know, it, it's coming through totally 100% here. And, you know, when you, when you know, I just can't even imagine, like, studying all of this, the scientific applications and the spiritual knowledge. And, you know, we, we're such neophytes. I mean, we think, you know, it's like, it's like when someone says, oh, acupuncture, that new thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, you know, we're rediscovering. It's like we're, you know, we're just being reminded. And, you know, it takes conferences like, this to really really educate people and you know the scientific part you know is so many people you know have not merged science and spirit and yet i think this is the time it's like happening more globally than ever before and um I don't know, but this is just interesting, fascinating. I, I did not know that about the spinning of the sacred geometric forms, but it makes sense. You know, when you mm-hmm. give a Reiki attunement, you, you're you're putting, you know, passing the symbols into a person, and yet, you know, when you're unwinding, you know, they've done they've done all kinds of studies. I mean, this is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but with cancer treatment, there was a, a gal, uh, Rosalind Brouet, who discovered that if you can seal a leak in the chakra system, that a person 
has a tendency to get well again. And she was given a $5 million grant for this because they realized that when you can strengthen the energetic system of the physical body, people get well. Mm-hmm. People get Absolutely. well. And, you know, and then, you know, you look, you know, way, way back in ancient times, you'll see the bodies with the seven energy systems, you know, and, you know, it's like, it's just ancient knowledge. And yet, you know, we're, we're rediscovering it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So Dr. Gilbert, you can go anywhere. We have a few more minutes before um, I bring Reverend Normandy Ellis on. What else would you like to share with just all of your adventures and travels and sacred sites? And I mean, you're just Mm. uh, so much knowledge here. Whatever you'd like to share with us. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Well, in the limited time I have, I'd probably direct people to my website, which is vesica.org. And vesica is actually a sacred geometry symbol. When you get two circles overlapped, it creates an almond-shaped opening, a portal between the two circles. And vesica is spelled V as in Victor, E-S-I-C-A dot org, is my website. It has the links to the trainings in the French work, which is called Vibrational Testing and Healing. It has connections to Dr. Kareem's biogeometry courses and to uh, the offering of those which we'll be doing this summer. And again, for the Global Pyramid Conference, which we're going to be doing in May, where I'll be presenting an overview of this on Saturday morning. The thing that I've really found in working with this vibrational science is that it's incredibly deep. And the thing that really excites me is getting to the real science of it so that we understand all the principles involved. Because if we understand all the principles, we can then create the practical techniques we need to apply it for any purpose that we need. And that's really what we've been working on is getting it into a place that anyone can learn it, anyone can apply it, and they can test all the invisible vibrations, the complete spectrum of them that affect them below their level of awareness every day in their consciousness, energy, etc. It really, I believe, is a master key for understanding subtle vibrations and how all life interacts. There it is. I mean, that's profound right there. I mean, all of this has just been fabulous. And um, I just want to thank you for being my guest and taking the time to help others because, you know, this radio show reaches different people and the magazine reaches different people, but each each person we reach, it makes the world a different place. So thank you for the work mm-hmm. you're doing. And um, you. just anytime you want to be my guest, let me know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Thank all you. Right. Just invite and, me back. Okay. I'll be happy to come. Okay, thank, thank you, you so me. much. Okay, all right, okay, have a good you. evening. Okay. You too, bye-bye. Thank you. Okay, so that was Dr. Robert Gilbert. He will be, uh, as he said, a speaker at the International and Scientific Global Pyramid Conference, May 13th through 15th in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I'm bringing on my um, next guest, who is a speaker at the conference as well, and her name is Reverend Normandy Ellis. She is the author of 11 books, most notably the spiritual classic Awakening Osiris, and she is going to be talking to us tonight about about her 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 work, but also um, about the beauty and complexity of the pyramid texts written in hieroglyph, um, as founded uh, as found rather in the pyramid of Pharaoh Unas, and then she's going to be talking about some of the um, the contents of of these that are the, unquestionably the oldest. Uh, existent spiritual text written to date and some of the ascension rites that are older than 2450 BC. So Dr. Uh, I'm sorry, Reverend Ellis, I know you're there. 
So uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay. So, wow. I'm, you know, I don't even know where to start. So you start and I will be here to interject, but just, you know, how did, how did your fascination with Egypt start and, and just your journey, just share a little bit and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I didn't intend to start out translating hieroglyphs. Um, (laughs) No, I was in a a class um, doing a English literature master's and um, needed another foreign language and um, had only Spanish and uh, my southern accent, which wasn't going to fly. So they said, well, what sounds interesting? And I said, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be a painter as well as a writer. And so maybe hieroglyphs would look good. The truth is a friend of mine had given me a couple of years before a book of uh, Wallace Budge's Egyptian Book of the Dead because I was very fascinated with the mysticism that was inherent in ancient Egypt. And, and I didn't really understand why I was fascinated with it, but he presented me with this book. So the class then presented me with the opportunity to turn around and study hieroglyphs. Um, I became so fascinated with the subject, and I, I ended up not only translating uh, the hieroglyphs, but translating the entire Egyptian Book of the Dead all over again, and it took me 10 years to get through it three times. Um, you could say it sort of became an obsession. I was I was totally fascinated with my copybooks and with the comparative texts of other translators and, and Egyptian grammar books and ancient history and mythology, and I was like putting all these pieces together, like working a giant crossword puzzle, and sometimes it was just so overwhelming that I would fall asleep on top of like 75 different reference books trying to translate one little line. And then the door would slam and I'd wake up and I would have it. I would understand what it meant. It was like I had to get all of that information in there and let it whirl around (laughs) until it made sense to me and I could translate it. Um, because really hieroglyphs, uh, it's not a word-for-word type of language. And if you try to do that, that that creates gobbledygook, which is a lot of what we had in the early attempts to translate the hieroglyphs. Um, And so you have to work with it uh, at least three different ways. And I really think that there are probably more than that, but... When I first started, I would work with the sound of the language. Um, you know, there are certain hieroglyphs that have symbols and sounds to them. But more than that, the Egyptians are really fond of punning. They're, they, uh, they almost use it as if it were um, like sound-like words sometimes. So the way that a poet will take a word and twist it and turn it, and suddenly it shines in a completely different way. The Egyptians would do that with their language. Um, And so you'd have um, an image of a dung beetle, uh, which is pronounced kefir. And this dung beetle would mean variously being and becoming 
and transforming and changing and initiating and creating. I mean, it was all these possible phrases. And so when you hear a sound that goes, Nukpuim kephara kephare kephara, Nukpuim rea, then you realize there's like this song being sung. Um, and the kephar, kephar, kephar kept coming over and over and over. And I kept looking at it. How do I translate that? Uh, so that it really is like the poem that the language is. And so I ended up with a line that said, in the beginning, I became the becoming, being what I created. And that was really the story of the transformation of the dung beetle, um, of turning the alchemical process of lead into gold, of base matter, which was... um, what we think of as the material world into something spiritual, a thing of light. And I mean, I was looking at that, and that's just how the sound worked. Um, and then I looked at the hieroglyphs, and I realized, well, they also work like dream symbols, you know. And when you have sound-alike words, you also have look-alike words. And so I started playing with the images as well and interpreting them as if they were part of a dreamscape. And then inside all of that, there's embedded a mythology that's never spelled out like we would in an English language or Greek or Roman myth. It's all encoded and embedded in the glyphs themselves. So you kind of have to parse that out as well. So it was, you know, a narrative. It was an image, it was a sound, and it was all of that in one word. Um, So that's why it took me 10 years to try to figure out how to go from, you know, a whole concept of something into the real poem and subtlety of what the language was doing. So that's kind of how I got excited about it. Um, And 10 years, I almost threw it away, actually. Like the Osiris almost ended up in the trash can. But um, the friend who had died, who gave me this book, uh, was sitting in the back seat of my car the night that I almost threw the book away. I could see his spirit in my car. And, you know, it's like I knew I had to save this text. I couldn't throw it away. So that's kind of where it started. And um, it's still going since I was 24. It's been going just like that. Well, and you take groups to Egypt, it looks like. I do take groups to Egypt. I'm leaving in about two weeks, actually. Um, Yeah, we're going to, yeah. Oh, wish you could come. We still have room for two or three more people if they want to jump on. Um, Wow. Yeah. and, and your website is www.normandyellis.com, and I like to spell that. It's N-O-R-M-A-N-D-I-E-L-L-I-I, okay, E-L-L-I-S.com. And you can also, listeners, go to uh, globalpyramidconference.com, and there's information on all the different speakers, and you can you know probably link directly from her site from there. But, you know, it's just interesting how things change your life. I um, I grew up in a you know, just an ordinary neighborhood, and we had these fascinating neighbors across the street who just from the time I was little, they were just really glamorous people, and they traveled all over the world, and 
they gave my parents this um, altar cloth. It was like, you know, a dresser cloth um, from Egypt. And initially it had all these beautiful colors, but as time wore on, it faded. But I was always fascinated with it. And my mom, you know, just, you know, she gave it to me when I was young. She goes, look, you've always liked this from the time, you know, we received it. And it's just this this beautiful rendering of the pyramids and, you know, in Egypt. And so, um, and, and then when my daughter was in high school, she made this clay sculpture of the Sphinx, you know, the, the Great Pyramid and the little Sphinx in front of it. And, mm-hmm. um I know, and I'm a feng shui consultant, so I had it in children and creativity, and then I had a new housekeeper, and she was cleaning, and she she was new, so she put it back in the wrong place, but really she didn't. She put it in helpful people on travel, and I thought, oh, I've always wanted to go to Egypt. <laughs> And so I wonder how this will this will work. And I kid you not, I was invited uh, as a as a um, featured psychic on a trip to Egypt in 2008. And I was doing readings whenever there was a pause, going up and down the Nile River, and you know, just just fascinating. And we were there were 40 different healers from all over the world. And um, but that's it was activated, you know, when the timing was right. And you know, things just happen; they line up. And you find your your work, you know, just like like you know. And then you and then you wrote this book. So how did your um, awakening, Osiris? How did that come to be? Well, that was actually that whole pro- ten year process was the translation of the Book of the Dead that became Awakening Osiris because I really almost threw that text away, and then saved it by putting it in the wheel well of my car my husband thought it was becoming an obsession and I should throw it away. So I didn't <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> um, oh, and what so ended up, funny. Yeah. What ended up happening was about four months after that, um, a friend who had heard the very first translations when I was in that very first class 10 years before said to me, you've been working on this all that time. You wouldn't happen to have a book yet, would you? And he is opening a publishing company, and there it was, yeah. Just lines up so, when the timing is right. That's right. So, so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so I was just going to say I had never been to Egypt at all, and it was on the royalties of that first sale of that book that I was finally able to go and set foot in this land that had felt like home to me, you know, for 15 years at that point. So what was it like to finally arrive and and to just, I mean, I I, I was just amazed. And, and, you know, well, I can tell you this, we all whined a little bit about getting up at 3.30 and 4 and, you know, in the morning in order to be to the sites because we had secret, you know, you know separate time before the general public came in. But what I can tell you is after the first time of experiencing you know, the whole energy when the tours were all there, it was all, we, were, we didn't complain about getting up at 3.30 in the morning. It was like, whatever we have to do to have our private time with these sacred sites. But, you know, for you, did you feel like you just arrived home? I mean, what was the feeling like? Oh, oh I definitely felt like I had arrived home. And, um, you know, I found, it was very funny. I found myself walking through uh, the... Egyptian Museum one day. This was like the first couple of days that I was there. And I was just, you know, a regular tourist all on my own. They didn't even have the little earpieces then. 
And so people were leaning over the, the cases and saying, I wonder what that thing is. I wonder what that means. And so I would tell them. You know, <laughs> it you know, I've been studying it, and I found myself wandering through the museum, and I had this, like, cadre of people following me. <laughs> what confirmation, though? What confirmation? Here you are, you know, you've studied this, you're an expert, and, you know, and people, I mean, they all lined up. There you were. <laughs> yeah. I th- well, yeah, and I think I thought at the time, I should do this for a living. I'd love this. You know, so now I do. <laughs> so how often do you return? I'm just curious. I go twice a year, and I like to go in the spring and usually in the winter. Now, I would say October is probably the best time to go, but I cannot go in October because I teach at Camp Chesterfield and need to be available to them. So I usually go right after Thanksgiving um, and just before Christmas. And I usually do a lot of my Christmas shopping over there. Um, I was was there in December. And every time I go, I find a new place that I've never been. And I have to tell you, I found one of the most fabulous places this last visit in December. Um, It's called the City of Zebulon. And it's a Coptic Christian community. And Zebulon means trash picker. And these, all these Coptic Christians collect the garbage of Cairo. I mean, 30 million people. And they take the garbage up to the city and they sort through it. It used to be that they had pigs that they would feed it to, you know, herds of pigs. But then swine flu came along and everybody got scared and they killed the pigs. So now they recycle. They take things apart. They sell the plastics and the metals you know, to other countries uh, for recycling. And at this particular place, though it sounds like a horrible place to be, there's this amazing um, cathedral that's inside the cave of a mountain and the beautiful, it's a Christian community. Uh, These stories of, you know, biblical excursions and miracles are carved into the side of these gypsum Mountains and one mountain back in the Middle Ages slid into another mountain and then rested there. The top of the mountain did, and so that's what created this cave. And it has um, a history like Lourdes in France, where there's rooms that are piled full of of uh, wheelchairs and crutches and canes and all types of things where people have had healing um, and have come down off this mountain. It's quite fascinating and there's you know in one small piece of old Cairo you can walk around and see old synagogues and mosques and Christian churches and it's just it's really sweet to see all these religions right there within a couple of blocks of each other it's just great I know, and it was like you know, you're you're there, and you hear bells chiming, ringing, and then you hear the mosque calling, and um, and you know, we I, I live in St. Louis, and we actually have an Egyptian Coptic church and community here, and um, mm-hmm. which is which is you know unusual. I mean, we um, I don't know, we're very diverse with uh, the different different religious uh, representations here, uh, which m- most people are like in St. Louis, I'm like yeah, in St. Louis, and uh, they have festivals and you know the general public comes in and 
They have a great gift shop, you know, but I've been in that museum that you're talking about. And I mean, they're constantly like finding new things and, you know, like there's all these roped off areas and I don't know how we somehow we went the wrong way. And they're like, no, 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 you can't be back here basically. But that, that museum is fascinating, just beyond fascinating. Oh, so, so, okay. What are you talking about at the conference? Are you you're talking about are the? Do you want to talk about uh, next the Ascension Rite uh, texts that were found, or you you go wherever you want to go because well, let's see. let's yeah let's I'm going to talk about the Pyramid of Amy, which is okay. the oldest text. Okay, your uh, microphone somehow your microphone's cutting out. Oh. Oh, okay. There you go. You're me? back. You're back. You are back. Okay. You are back. Thank you. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So, um, the pyramid text of Unas dates to about 2640 BC, and it's the, what we know of as the first spiritual religious text. Um, we it probably had hieroglyphs long before that that were in papyrus. The papyrus disappeared, but these were carved into stone. I misspoke. They weren't carved into stone. They were carved out of stone. That is, they're bas-relief. Many of them are bas-relief. So you have to cut the stone away rather than take a knife and chisel into it, Okay, which is infinitely difficult. And when you're looking at these glyphs, um, we imagine, you know, going into the tomb, we'll say a pyramid might have been a tomb. I don't believe this one, you know, actually was simply a tomb. But when we go into the tombs in the Valley of the Kings, there's pictures painted on the wall, and then we have some hieroglyphs that say what the text of the person is saying. In Unis, it's just the text, you know. And I would say there's no pictures you know, there's no depictions of a scene of weighing of the heart or whatever that you would be used to seeing in Tutankhamun's tomb. But it's just row upon row upon row of hieroglyphs. Um, they are so precise and so beautiful that even for the letter M, uh, which is an owl shape, you can see every single feather in that owl's wing. Uh, and it's in bas relief, so it's just, it is amazingly beautiful. And um, the ceiling is painted with, um, it's painted blue with uh, gold stars above it. It's a Goddess Newt. Goddess Newt. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and every, every single star is as individual as the human life that it represents on Earth. You know, some of some of the stars are like tall, long-necked, and long-armed, and some of them are a little more shorter, and you know, with shorter legs, if you will. Um, and it used to, you know, it always reminded me of every soul that ever was or ever is on the earth at this time or ever will be on the earth are all represented in the body of the sky goddess. Yeah, and it's very beautiful. Um there's this hymn on one of the walls there in the antechamber that says, it's a hymn to Nut, and it says, Oh, great one who became sky, you are strong, you are mighty. You bend yourself above the earth 
over the whole world, you embrace it. As you take all things and enfold them in your arms, so enfold me. Make of me an indestructible star inside your body. I just think oh. Mm. That's just exquisite. I mean, she was in charge of all the ancient mystery schools. I mean, you know, I don't know if she was in charge, but she was like the inspiration. And I mean, that just is beautiful. And that that's actually right there at the site? That's right or there the... at the site. That that uh, hymn is chisel, chiseled in. It's um, on the wall, I'll say. Uh, it escapes from the wall. <laughs> uh, and there's some beautiful. There, yeah, there's so many beautiful things. You know, the thing that we think about um, in, in the Bible where we hear the story of Jacob's ladder, and that's something that, you know, it's a story that uh, all of us know pretty much, you know, that seeing souls rising up into heaven and the souls coming down and descending on this ladder that's inside the pyramid of Unas. And, you know, Jacob falls asleep on top of a stone and dreams this ladder. And I, I find myself thinking, is Jacob sleeping inside the pyramid of Unas or near it? You know, because that's the text that's on right. the wall where he's ascending in to talk to the ancestors and, and to the whole pantheon of gods and goddesses. And to really, when you ascend in that way in the pyramid, um, you're really going up to download the divine plan, you know. And if you're doing it in a shamanic state, which I think the pyramid was used as a shamanic initiation, that the text was not meant to be read by a dead soul, but by someone who was awakened and was coming out of a hypnagogic state and was like getting the plan for the rest of the community in a real ancient, you know, death and life rebirth type uh, scenario. And then we'd come out during the Hebsed Festival, which happened every seven years, and report on his part of the plan. This is what my ancestors and the gods told me we need to do next, you know. So. Oh, amazing. So so let's talk about the conference just for a moment. What I mean, this is the first ever of its kind and what an interesting array of speakers and minds coming together for this and hearts. I have to add that. So what would you like to share about this conference and you know, anything that you know about the conception of it and anything you want to share and um I'm gonna oh. remind the listeners Again, it's um, you can find information. There's still openings. Uh, it's May 13th through 15th, and it's uh, www.globalpyramidconference.com. And okay, Normandy, tell us just anything you want to share with well, us about this. Well, it's the brainchild of Marta Thomas, and um, you know she's just an amazing woman who has had an interest in pyramids, not only of Egypt because we've talked about Egypt tonight, but when she says global, she means around the world. I mean, so it's going to talk about Mayan pyramids. It's going to talk about the Bosnian pyramid. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be some information about the White Pyramid in China. All around the world, there are so many 
of these uh, pyramids that are being discovered these days, a lot of it because of the satellite technology that's allowing us to see these geometric shapes that we have to be high up enough in the air to be able to see them, you know. Um, and so this conference is really bringing together a lot of the information, not only the, the very different geographic places, but as we heard before, the science, you know, and the art and the culture and the spiritual discipline and the initiations that were all part of these ancient cultures. I really feel that this conference is, is really about telling us everything that we used to know but that we almost forgot and that now we're starting to understand again. And it's really bringing this ancient knowledge back alive. It's, it's making it more accessible for us so that we can move forward. Um, it's, it's bringing the divine plan back, if you will. So I'm very excited about this conference. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a pyramid in China. I know there's in Bosnia and Mexico and, you know, many parts of the world, but I did not. What is the white pyramid in China? I, I don't know. Well, that. they pretend like it's not there. <laughs> they pretend like it's not there, but it's there. Um, and you can see it from a satellite. So, yeah. Interesting. I wonder why, I guess, well, China has control issues in a lot of ways, but how, they probably don't want scientists arriving to come in their country and study it or something. I mean, why would they not want us to know? Um, well, I, don't, I think that it's, um, they're less uh, religiously affiliated or spiritually affiliated right now. They're much more into right. politics. Yeah, and so right. they're just you know, not going there. Interesting. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because now I'll research and I'm one of those that always likes to learn. But, um, but you know, this just sounds like such an amazing conglomeration of people coming together. And I just cannot even imagine the frequency of Chicago during this conference with this many people coming together as scientists and, you know, the spiritual aspect of all, all of this ancient knowledge and these experts all coming together. This It has to be the conference within the conference just to be with the other presenters. Right, and it's very exciting because it's the first of its kind, you know, and we are hoping, Marta is hoping that this will continue, um, that that there will be enough success and as many people coming to it that it will go on and each year become even bigger and more exciting. Wow. Well, Dr. Ellis, or Reverend Ellis, what is your next step? What are you working on now? I'm just curious. I feel like there's something new you're working on. Well, I just published. Um, I'm working with Nikki Scully. Uh, we've worked together for over, gosh, 25 years leading Egyptian mystery schools. And we just published uh, The Union of Isis and Thoth, uh, Initiatory oh. Practices and Magic in Ancient Egypt. And so that really is a book about um, a lot of the talk that I'm going to do on Unis is from that book. Uh, but it's, it's also about how to carry the temple within um, so that wherever you are, you have access to that resonant core uh, of being. And it, it talks about um, the spiritual bodies of the ancient Egyptians, um, you know, because they believed that there were nine. Um, 
and it talks about uh, psychic senses of the ancient Egyptians, and um, it helps you write hymns to the divine beings and really contact your sources. So uh, it's got a lot of information in it, and I think, you know, self-initiation would be probably the best way to describe it. And I'm also going to be doing a, a Egyptian Mysteries workshop with Nikki in Oregon this year. Well, so. Kate Fierziger posted because, you know, this is right up, right up our reader's alley. And, you know, I've studied um, uh, with Dr. Uh, Shang Lei. I always say his name wrong, but he does soul singing. And so when you were talking about the, the sacred hymns, I mean, they're very healing. You know, these, you know, it's, it's yeah. like, you know, uh, I, I mean, there's just codes within codes within codes. And um, they're, they're just beautiful. So keep us posted. And thank you so much for being my guest this evening. And, um, you know, listeners, let people know about this conference. It's in Chicago, May 13th through 15th. An amazing coming together of people from all over the world, speakers and, you know, people, that, that even the, the people that are attending are coming from all over the world. So it's an international event in Chicago, the, inter, the first international scientific global pyramid conference. So, Reverend Ellis, thank you so much, and uh, please stay in touch with Spirit Seeker with me, okay? I will. Cindy, thank you so much. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks so much for being my guest. Okay, okay. All right, so this is Cindy Meyer, and this is a special two-hour show. So we are going to, um, I'm just going to do a couple of announcements because there's not the normal entry music that you hear in the announcements. So this is Cindy Meyer. I am the publisher of Spirit Seeker Magazine and have been so for 20 years. I'm the, the, the founder of it, and it's my little baby that I birth each and every month. Um, and I have to tell you, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to bring this knowledge and, um, and be, be behind the helm of it. And we have several, several different things that we offer. We have the weekly radio show that you're finding your way to here. And we have a weekly um, email newsletter and as well as the monthly publication. We also sponsor different events, and uh, we will be working with the Global Pyramid Conference that you just um, heard two speakers from. But we will also be um, at the Afterlife Conference in St. Louis we um we have we are at uh the transformation conference in arkansas this this week and then the ufo conference starts this weekend and spirit seeker will be there we're at i think eight to ten other conferences throughout the midwest in the next few months so um so look for us and also send us an email to info at spiritseeker.com and we will add you to our email list just say please add me to your email list we um we do not you know, let anyone have our email list, but we let you know when the magazine's online, which the April issue is. Uh, just go to www.spiritseeker.com. You can also link to the Cindy Meyer site from there and find out more about the different services that I offer. Um, we also do periodic drawings because there are so many wonderful books and CDs and DVDs that arrive uh, to the magazine that we bless our people on our email list periodically with, um, we just do random drawings and then we let you know and we send you a book or a, a CD or DVD so um, it's a it's a wonderful way to let people know about all the things that we're offering and all the things that are happening on planet earth at this time okay so that is uh, all, those are all of the announcements and so we are going to go into part two of our show um, and um, 
Beatrix Quintana is my regular Tuesday, uh, first Tuesday of the month guest each and every month. This is a devotion that she offers to all of us. She is an amazing, gifted tarot reader, astrologer, but what she is known for, well, I, I, she has so many things, is her Moon Manifesting book, which um, I'll let her tell us about that. But she also, um, and that's that's that to me is the greatest gift. You know, yes, she's brilliant with all of the other gifts, but her Moon book has helped people all over the world learn how to manifest with the Moon cycles and understand the power of the New Moon, the Full Moon, and the different cycles in between. She's brilliant. She explains it all, and she also has a new endeavor. Spirit Spirituality on a string. She uh, creates spiritual gemstone and totem jewelry that is off the charts. Every time I see a piece, I'm like, I want one, and I, I that's on my wish list. But Beatrix, I know you're there. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. You're welcome. Did you answer me? I'm here. I'm sorry, what? Okay. I'm yes, here. Yeah, I can hear. Yes, I know you're here. Oh, okay. Yay. Oh, no one answered when I called, I thought. She doesn't even know. know I'm here. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I watched for you on the switchboard, but it's a two-hour show tonight. And so we I went know. straight from the two guests right into right into uh, you, and I'm so I'm sorry. I could, there's probably a way for me to put the people on hold and, and tag in, but I don't know how to do it. So here I am, oh. and yes, I knew you were here, and I was watching for mm-hmm. you, and I'm so, so grateful yeah. you're here. Who would have ever thought Sydney Meyer, who didn't even know, like, have a fax machine or, like, <laughs> know how to do emails, would be doing a switch. Now you're on the radio, kiddo. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Oh, my gosh. So how are you Everything and else? how is Beatrix's world these days? And we'll go into this crazy new moon astrology and everything that's happening. But but how are, how are things with you? Everything's good? Well, we all made it through the eclipses. Of last month, the two of them in a row, and blasting us through 1997, and now we've come out into the the birth canal, and we are here and ready to live 2016. So April, of course, provides for us the opening for our our true identity in the year of generosity. So it's very exciting. Anyway, there's a lot going on. The planets are starting to line up for their... Oh, 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 excuse me, I can't stop yawning today. Um, You're moving energy. They're, yacht, they're yachting. They're, they're going retrograde. Jupiter is retrograde until May 9th. So that brings up all kinds of old love issues. And then we have Saturn in Sagittarius retrograde, which, and that's until August. And that, um, that has a way of squelching the whole fun of being a Sagittarius. And then you've got Mars retrograde. It goes retrograde on the 17th of April. And that's going to be in Sagittarius as well. So, now remember, Sagittarius is all about adventure and travel and spirit-seeking and totally opening to the whole world of higher knowledge. 
And when Saturn's in there, it wants to make sure you apply what you learn. And with Mars, oh, pardon me, Mars in there, it's going to make things very difficult um, for you to travel. So, and it's kind of like a stifling of changes. So Sagittarius energy is getting hit pretty bad right now. And um, if you want to keep moving forward, it's going to be uh, difficult. You're going to have to understand that you got to stop and smell the roses. That's what that's all about. Then you got Pluto retrograde until September. And Pluto deals with survival issues all the way down to the bone marrow. So when you think of something that feels like a deep level of survival, see what you can do to turn it around um, and go from a higher throne of choice. Oh, I so, saw. So, so look at sorry. it as an opportunity. You know what? You're go moving on. energy for all of us every time you do it. <laughs> It's okay. It's all good. Yawning is one of the fastest ways to move energy. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> who would, who would yeah, think? well, I've been doing a lot of it lately. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, you've got your south node and north node. South node deals with the past. So a lot of the south node stuff that's going on is going to be about recognizing the pain in your body and what it relates to on an emotional level and how can you work work it through for yourself so that you can have a happier life. Then you got the north node which rules your future and it's coupled with Jupiter, the planet of expansion and luxury and um I want to say exaggeration, but it's kind of like that sounds negative. But it's like the bigger scheme of things. So that's in there, but unfortunately, uh, Jupiter's retrograde, so it's allowing you to look at things from a finer detail point of view. And in, in so doing, it'll set your future up. The one good thing that's going on is that Mars is right there in the mid-heaven in the center of the universe. And it's going to really make everybody feel like they want to accomplish something. So if that comes over you, where you want to accomplish something right now, go for it. Even though there's a lot of resistance, there's a lot of support as well. Um, And then we've got the new moon in Aries. I think that's, oh, Venus moves into Aries on the 5th. Is that today? This is all today. Yes, this is today. Oh, my God. I know, I know. When I was preparing for for this show, you know, I always look at the moon book and, you know, any, you know, I just get ready, and especially if there's something I want you to clarify. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we are on the new moon with the show tonight and Venus, you know, oh, yeah. leaving, you know, the sign of Pisces and entering Aries where, you know, it'll be till May 1st. So, I mean, so, oh, yeah. Well, Venus and no, Aries. 
Now it explains why I became so impatient. Because Venus wants everything. One of her challenges on a psychological level is that she wants immediate gratification. So when immediate gratification can't happen, Venus goes, you know, ballistic. Or she does what I call have several brat attacks. So if you've had some brat attacks today... Give yourself a pat on the back and just say, right on, sister. <laughs> I know exactly what's going on. I just want immediate gratification. And because um, when Venus is in Aries, it is like extremely important to know this about yourself. And you don't want to end up going swimming because it looks like a good idea and the water's still frozen. Do you understand? Got it, so, totally. Yeah. And where love is concerned, if you're on a first date, Venus and Aries, you want to do everything on the first date. You may want to hold on to what I call the 12-date rule where you hold yourself back because if you do everything on the first night, then you won't have a second night to be excited about. And then you could go into a serious brat attack. So you want to be careful. Do you understand? I, and then we've got, I have it totally. <laughs> April 7th is the moon, in, and it's in Aries. I think that's the new moon, right? I, you know, the new moon I thought was today, but you you know what? It might be the 7th. I, you are no, right. It is the 7th. I'm, I'm backwards. It's the 7th. It's yeah, the seventh. that's okay. Anyway, so, and that's when you, see, we went through a blast with these last eclipses because they hit our personality. And remember, your whole personality and the way it projects itself is all based on Aries whether you're an Aries or not. What you want to do is find out what Aries rules in your chart, and that'll tell you the focus of your personality. So one of the things that you want to look at here is that we had five or six levels of personalities being challenged within ourselves all last month. And now that we are full-blown into Aries, and now we're getting the Aries, um, the Aries sun and moon on this new moon, um, on the seventh, you're all being given like an amazing experience of recalibrating your whole identity. How do you want to walk in the room? How do you want to represent your company? How do you want to represent yourself? Um, how do you, um, how do you want to dress? What do you want people to think about you when you leave the room? It's all about your presentation. So this is like, and it's a major breakthrough in the presentation. So you want to be able to really own that. Remember, Aries is the author of his own life. And with having Mars in the midheaven, you're going to have a lot of new goals with this new identity and be able to really put it out there and make it make a ton of 
uh, wonderful new choices for yourself that will put you into a life that's a life of a winner and a life of a a person who, you know, can make breakthroughs and contribute to the world through um, dynamic power. So now is the time to really birth that in yourself. Quite exciting. Well, and Aries is the oldest sign in the zodiac, yes? No, the newest. Pisces is Oh, I said it backwards? Yeah. How interesting. I always, in my mind, I was like, oh, the Aries are the oldest. I I have that programmed in. I don't even know where it came from. Oh, no, they're the babies. They're the babies in the It's all the levels of growth. Yeah. The oldest is Pisces. Interesting. Thank you for clarifying uh, that. Sign. I don't know. I do, I've i taught that for years. Oh, Aries, they're the, if you have an Aries, oh, they're the oldest sign, you know, blah, blah, blah. And oh. it's like, I just had it wrong all these years. That is so oh, funny. the new you. The new you every year, Aries. And how you want to put that together for yourself. It's quite exciting. Let's see when the full moon is. Turn around. Full moon's on the 21st. And that's going to be in Scorpio. So full moons are when you recalibrate, you let go, you surrender, if you want to use that word. And um, Scorpio is the opposite of Taurus, so the sun must be moving in to Taurus. Oh, it moves into Taurus on the 19th. And then the 21st, you go into the moon in Scorpio, which is the opposite of Taurus. So Scorpio deals with shared resources, money, sex, and power. So what you're going to do is you're going to look at all those words, shared resources, money, sex, and power. And you're going to look at what you want to let go of um, and release it so you can actually manifest money, sex, and power in your life. And like yourself. Remember, Taurus rules your self-value. Scorpio rules your desires. And how you share those desires with others makes you value yourself or not. Well, it's interesting. My rising sign is Taurus and my moon is in Scorpio. Well, my goodness sakes. (laughs) And I'm here, I am like morphing. I can feel it. I mean, I can feel the energy of this particular new moon. It's just I I feel like I'm rebranding my identity. I'm getting clear on you know where I want to go next, you know? Like I know it sounds odd, but it's like where what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I I I feel like the last few That's years have exactly been such change. That's the energy everyone on the planet's dealing with because it's all brand new. From these last two eclipses and the last recalibrations that we've been going through last year until now. And now you've birthed yourself anew. So, yes, you're right on track, Cindy. The chimes just started chiming outside my window. (laughs) Oh, good. There's been no wind today. 
Right, right. So, yeah. you know, but I'm going to ask you a question, Beatrix, um, before we before we take readers. Okay, so, you know, Vedic astrology is a little bit different than Western. And uh-huh. um, one of Amici's uh, Vedic astrologers that she she recommends was through St. Louis in 2012, okay? And 2012 was when I fractured my knee and my oh, yeah. ankle response. So I was in my mm-hmm. hospital bed in my living room, and this gal was, um, this Vedic astrologer was supposed to come and um, give me a reading, but then, mm-hmm. I don't know, from being stuck in wheelchair and all this other stuff, I got pneumonia. So instead, she gave me the reading over the phone, and uh. she and so she's looking at my Vedic astrology chart, and she says, did you have one of these falls in 2006? I said, as a matter of fact, I did. I fractured my left ankle, and... Um, was in a wheelchair for 12 weeks then. I have 10 screws on a plate. I said, but how, how in the world could you know that? And she said, well, it's in your Vedic astrology chart. And she said, you have the potential for another one of these falls in June of 2016. And I oh, said, wow. what? And she said, think about what happened both times when these, these um, falls happened. You were stopped, you slowed down, and you let people help you. And she said, you you have a tendency to want to do everything yourself. And she said, so now that you know that this, like the, like the lesson is to receive more love, receive more support, let people in, you know, she says, now you've got the lesson, you don't have to have the fall to get the lesson of receiving this. But here's the deal, Beatrix. All of a sudden, my life is like, okay, you know how you plant the seeds? Okay, so real estate now, all of a sudden, Sidney Meyer is all the spiritual, spirit seekers, no, I'm not doing conferences anymore. You know, those that is over. And now all of a sudden, and I'm not complaining, but I can just see what's about to happen. And it's like, okay, so do you, I mean, do you have any suggestions for Miss Sidney Meyer here? to, like, totally, like, clear this out of my DNA and future. No, I don't, I, I don't know how to do it. I would say just learn what stops the third event from coming is for you to learn from the first two events. Okay. So that's how I would do it. Um, I just know that What's the wisdom behind the event is what my teacher always said to me. And if I knew the wisdom, then I would not have to go karmically running forward into having another repeated circumstance because karma is repeated circumstances. Now, I do know you go really fast. You can't help yourself. And by the fact that you get accident prone. So, as you move forward in the next couple of months, just remind yourself not to go fast. And I think you'll do better. And with Mars retrograde, it'll stop you from going fast anyway because since you're a five-timing cycle, you're ruled by Mars. Interesting. Thank you for that. (laughs) Okay, thank you for that. Oh, that's interesting because I got the five of coins. That's a large amount of money coming your way if you learn this lesson. 
you know, it's fabulous. I'm enjoying my life. I'm, I, I just have all these ideas that are like bursting, you know, it's just a matter of taking the time to slow down and, you know, actually bring them to fruition. So why don't you write them all down on the seventh? Wow. I will do that. I will do that. Write them all down, light your candle, say it out loud. Because then the ones that are supposed to manifest will come to you in the next two weeks. Okay, I will do it. So, Beatrix, tell us about your book before we start taking um, callers for readings. Tell us about your book. Tell us about your spirituality on a string, any classes you have coming up, anything you want to share. Oh, I've got a whole conference coming up that I'm doing with two shamans down here in where I live in San Diego, and it's going to be five days of wonderment. Um, and it's on my, actually, it's advertised on my um, on my Facebook page. Anyway, we're having a moon lodge and a big fire ceremony. We're making prayer arrows, setting our intentions. We're going to... Um, participate in a new ed new wet new formula for healing by sitting in this portal that has a healing power it's called a portal hedron and it's built with laser lights and laser crystals and that's going to be here and we will all have a remarkable experience and then we're having a gathering of the spirit guides where the spirit guides will be talking to everybody. And then I'm trying to think, what there's so many days. There's five days of wonder. Um, oh, and then there's Maria Yaceborough knows how to... She's a, a fabulous shaman, and what she does is she's going to be teaching us about our spiritual DNA that she accesses from the Pleiadians. Uh, the the star system and through that system it tells you you know basically what you were to do on the earth when you came here from this one of the seven sisters and that'll be remarkable then Linda Yaceborough she is a spirit photographer and she's going to be taking everybody on walks throughout on the beach here and have a teaching people how to photograph spirit. So it's going to be one heck of a week. So that's my conference. What wow. I'm going to be and doing. what are the dates on that? Do you know the dates? It's May 1st through May 5th. And you can do all of the activities or you can just do one or two. They're all like... Um, there's like, you know, some of them are $20, some of them are $30, some of them are $90. Each one is a different price. That's fabulous that they can pick and choose. Yeah, and yeah, yeah that's a great wonderful. concept. We just sent out the, all the millions of flyers on Facebook over the weekend, and now it's up to the people. But if you want to know more about it, uh, my computer is broken, so you're going to have to go to Facebook instead of my email. But um, 
uh, that's Beatrix, B-E-A-T-R-E-X, Quintana, Q-U-N-T-A-N-N-A. And friend me, and you can read all about the five days of, of wonder, and it's all called Becoming Free. So it should be quite remarkable. And um, I just know that every time I'm around uh, Maria Yesboro, she's like a prophet that my whole life um, accelerates to like 23 or 4 new levels after she leaves. So it should be really fun. You should come, Cindy. You would love I it. I know. I'm like, wow. I mean, I, I was supposed to go to the UFO conference this weekend, but I, I just came oh. out of, you know, like when you were talking about health things, I don't even know what I went through. I, mean, I don't want to name it, but it, it was like I was in the middle of getting a lymphatic massage, and all of a sudden I realized I had chills. I had 101 fever before I realized that things were kind of like oh. like. I was just, I don't know, but I think I just burned through something, and so I'm not yeah. pushing myself. I, you know, I'm not doing that, but who knows? I mean, Beatrix, this is where I am right now. It's like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> so I, I would love to see you. That would be fabulous. <laughs> so, so, you can so we'll put it in spirit's hands. So wonderful. You know, you just uh, might see it'll me. be a wonderful just, experience. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that invitation. Um, okay, so how would you like to do the readings tonight? We don't have as long of a list as normal, so we um, we're going to have time to chat after we do uh, after we do the readings. But is there a format that you would like to ask of the of the people tonight? I'm trying to think about the you know the whole theme is birthing yourself anew right now. So if people want to ask a question. Um, you know, about where their identity is manifesting or how can they be supported to be all that they can be. You know, those kinds of questions are really perfect for right now. So, okay. we could give okay. that a try. How does that feel? Okay, that feels great. My cards are not with me. I realize they're on a different level. So I'm going to go to, unless you, can you can you chat for like one minute and I'll be back and we'll take our first caller. Just share anything sure. you want to share. Okay, I'll be right back. I don't know what else I can talk about. Why don't you have somebody ask me a question? Cindy, where did you go? So... One of the things that's really important right now is to remember what inspires you because we are moving into a birthing of our our new identity for this year in the year of generosity. And as you birth that new identity, you want to birth it under the umbrella of inspiration and how it is that you could possibly put yourself into a whole new realm of of activities and awareness and uh, different groups that you might want to be involved with and find your way in the, under the umbrella of newness. That's really what's up for people right now. Okay, are you back, Cindy? No, she's not back. I thought I heard you. I'm back. I'm so, back. I'm um, so sorry. 
that's a first. Um, okay. All right. So are we ready to take our first caller? We're going to go to area code 856-429, 856-429. You are live on the air. If you would kindly you. state your, yes, your first name and where you're calling from and then um, your question this evening. Uh, Rosemary from New Jersey. And Hi. I'm trying to find, figure out what the universe, universe is trying to say with me. <laughs> okay, and your question? Um, I guess relationship or job-wise. So I was wondering about what's coming through with that. Okay, yeah. let's put energy around relationship for you. And what was your name again? Rosemaria. Rosemaria. I can resonate some of the stuff you were saying about Thursday and full moon and the new moon and Good. different weird things are happening. <laughs> uh, there is, you know, you have to think about, we just had a comet that went flying through the atmosphere and that changed a lot of things on this planet. We don't know quite yet. What that, um, you know, that infusion in the orbit has left us with. And so that's another thing that's happened that brings about a difference. Well, one of the things that I could see for you is I feel like you may have a bit of a relationship addiction. And with Venus and Aries right now, you have to be careful that you don't get uh, too obsessed with somebody. So I don't know if you already have someone in your life right now, but if this were my card, I would make sure that I took a lot of time getting to know whoever I dated right now to make sure that in knowing this person, you could feel safe and secure. One of the things that I'm being told for you about the concept of relating is that you need to pay attention to your intuition because I feel very strongly that your intuition is tells you exactly what you need to know about this person, whether they're worth investing their time. I have a feeling you've been a good ostrich and put your head in the sand many times. And and now, looking back, you wished you had listened. So the idea of relationship is wonderful for you as long as you don't try to do it in a hurry and as long as you pay attention to what your intuition says. And act upon it. Do you understand? Um, yes, I guess act on my intuition. I'd uh, be more calm and more patient. But, uh, yes, very good. Yeah, the only thing I have to add is um, all in divine time, all in divine order. Very those, good. Those, those, are, those are the only words I'm hearing around you. And, you know, if you just focus on that, okay, God, I'm ready for my divine partner, you know, all in divine time, all in divine order, and just trust that, and um, I think I think you'll be just fine. But, you know, were you on the call earlier when Beatrix was talking about the 12-date the rule? Um, I didn't hear the, like, the tell end of it. Um, okay. So, Beatrix, would you be kind enough to share that one more time? 
<laughs> yeah, I could actually. It's funny because I pulled the happiest card in the deck on that understanding. So, yes, on the 12 day rule, especially right now. Now, if you meet somebody within the next uh, week or so, you definitely have to obey the 12 day rule, which means that you do not get intimate with the person um, for 12 days. And that you build a solid friendship before you build as lovers. And in doing that, you will have an extremely happy, one of the best relationships that you've ever had in your life. I mean, I've got the sun card here. That's total bliss and happiness. So, I would wait. Let me see. When does that say that, Venus? I think Venus moved into Aries today. That's always a danger. Yeah. So what I would do is wait until there's a place where Venus moves into Taurus. And that is when, let me see, where did I see that happening? I think it's on the 12th. I have your book right here. I'll look real fast. Oh, here, that's Mercury and Venus. Oh, here it is. On April 29th is the best possible time for you to start a relationship because it'll be Venus is in Taurus, which is all about truly loving on a very valuable level. Whereas when Venus is in Aries, it's like, hurry up, we got to get... It's an addictive relationship process. So I would wait till the 29th. Okay, like to go out with him and stuff. And then do the 12 day. Yeah, or... Well, yeah, or when you do on the 29th, that's, that's when you could really walk into, like, the most amazing happy relationship ever. I mean, I would love to have pulled this card for myself. <laughs> so there you go. Hey, girl, okay, have well, a good time. Thank you for you calling from New Jersey and let other weeks. people know about the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Okay, so Beatrix, I have to share something that I heard on NPR radio today. I I I didn't did not know this. There are states in the United states in the United States where all you need is a parent's little written note, and you can get married at age fifteen if you choose. And so there are these there are these lobbyists, and it's mainly Delaware, I think, in. It was another eastern state that have just had it with this because apparently there are 15-year-olds marrying. There, there was a case where a 50-something-year-old man was having a relationship with a 15-year-old, and so then when it was, like, considered, you know, she was statutory rape, he married her. And so they're, they're posing legislation now where you have to be 18 or older to get married. And I'm like, what is wrong with our oh. – not wrong. What is out of balance with our society – that, you know, they're saying that more and more young people are getting married at, like, younger ages. And it just seems so, like, strange to me that we have to have laws, like, <laughs> and that there's... Doesn't it seem odd to you, or am I just crazy? No, I think that the times right now are going to 
create all kinds of things like what you're just talking about. And I think that that area up there in Delaware is, isn't that where there's a lot of Quakers or um, a very strict religionist? I think you're right. that area. And that's what I was getting. It was some kind of a religious law. But, you know, they're saying that this is going to intrude on parents' rights, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then they interviewed this gal who was 15 when she got – no, she was 17 when she got married, but she begged her parents from age 15 on to let her get married because she said, you know, all I thought about was sex at age 15, and, you know, I was in a really strict religion, and we weren't allowed to have sex. And she said, so So she got married at 17, and now 10 years later she has four children and is getting divorced. And she said, I don't think it's right that a 17-year-old should get married. I don't think it should even be allowed. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. You know, it's just kind of a – I don't even listen to NPR all that often, but that was on today. And I was like, okay, this came across your radar for a reason, you know, just listen. Interesting that but, it came across your um, – Radar on the day that Venus went into Aries, which means slow down, don't go impatient and love. Okay. Oh my gosh, you know me. Okay, I won't say any more. My ears are blushing. Okay, okay. I'll. All right, so we're going to take another um, caller. We're going to go to area code 904-674. 904-674, you are live on the air. If you would kindly state your first name and where you're calling from and then your question for Beatrix tonight. Oh, I think they dropped. I can see they, they dropped. Okay. Well, hopefully they'll call back in. We are now going to go to area code 856-456-429. You are live on the air. Oh, you already got me. Oh, sorry. Cindy Myers. It's okay. Good job on the switchover. That was Rosemary. (laughs) That was Rosemary again. Okay. Oh, Oh, she's so sweet. Okay, we're going to area code 770-322. In 904, I see you're back. We'll come to you next. 770-322, you're live on the air. Hi. Wow. Huh? I say wow. I just I just tune in. Wow. Okay, well good. You just were luck I, of the draw here. Really, <laughs> Cindy Meyer mixed up the switchboard. So so what is your first name and uh where you're calling from and your question? Uh I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia and my first name is Maddie. Okay, Hi Maddie. Hi, how are you? We're good. Great. great. And what is your question tonight? Um this is uh is this is about astrology? This Yeah, well, it's just like, tune in. Well, the the first part was about astrology. Now we're talking about you know, what what is your new identity right now and how do you want to proceed from here? So, do you have a question about something new going on in your life? Um I would like to know what is it what is it about me that I can't attract I have not attract love in my life. Okay, let's look. Let's see what your challenge is regarding attracting a love. Is this what we want to know? Yes. That was the question. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay, good. Well, that's a perfect answer. 
You have a tendency to pick men that don't value themselves. And you're a valuable being. And so that if you attract, you've attracted the wrong kind of guy. So you need to do a whole recalibration on the kind of guy you pick. You want to find somebody who's not careless, who's very conservative with their, not very generous, open-hearted, um, and uh, not stingy, selfish, or a gambler. Okay? So uh, a gambler? Gambler? Okay. Or yeah, selfish, or all about them, and not generous and kind. You want someone who's generous, um, and you know, Maddie, I hear go back to age eight. I, you know, we don't have to hear it on the air, but I would journal about what your life was like and what a male role model. I don't know, you know, look at, look at the different, like maybe an uncle, grandfather, whatever you learned about men at age eight, and um, and I don't know. That's just what I'm hearing, and so sometimes I don't, you know. I, I accept it. That's a message from spirit. But something, th- this non-valuing or, or picking men that are shiny and bright but not necessarily sincere goes back to something yeah, that was programmed in. kind of guys. Uh, what, what did Honey? you say, Beatrix? Fool's gold kind of guys. Yeah. They look Fake, good. not but, real. Yeah, like they, it's like cotton candy looks good, but when you take a bite, there's nothing there. <laughs> Right, right. That's okay, the kind of well. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Manny. Well, Thanks for calling want. in and let others know about the show. Okay, thank you. I will. Uh huh. You're okay. gonna okay. do very well once you realize that. Probably. Okay, baby. Okay, Way to go, thank girl. you. All right, so now Bye. our area code 904 got bumped off again. I don't know what's happening. It must be her, his or her phone. I shouldn't say her. but um, Oh, yeah, she's got a cell that's phone. That's interesting. So, that yeah. so, Beatrix, we, we are complete with readings until 904 pops back on. Hopefully they will. Um, what do you think about the election? Hi. Hi. <laughs> it's very frightening. At first, I thought it was hysterical because it it was, um, you know, everything in this, the, all the different systems have to change, and the political, oh, excuse me, the political system has to change, so... All this acting out that everybody's doing has really been showing us how stuck we've been and how a breakthrough is needed. But I worry about the election because I feel like the candidates just are not measuring up to the quality that I would like to see in leadership. So um, I think that... politically correct way to put it. That's a really good good analysis. So, but you but know what I am, what I'm concerned about is that if we get to that Republican convention and there's no there's not a clear leader, um 
well, it's going to be a free-for-all. And we'll see what, I mean, we'll see who shows up. My guides have told me a dark horse will appear. And I've heard that from many people, that what we think is going to happen is not going to happen at all. And that a dark horse will come in from left field. Now, I kept thinking, how in the heck is that going to happen? And then Bloomberg showed up for a little while. Then Mitt Romney's shown up for a little while. And then we've got, and now he's disappeared. But and the, but if something happens in the convention where nobody has the right numbers, the vote thing that they have to have, and they they tear down the system and somebody could show up there that could actually be be the best that we could ever possibly want or the worst. So what I would start doing or what I think everybody needs to do is to pray for the best possible leader, you know, to show up and then now that's just the Republicans. I haven't gotten into the the other ones yet. But you know, I mean Bernie is wonderful. He's like Santa Claus. Sure, college education, we'll pay for that, we'll pay for this and he has like all these great ideas. But so did Obama and then poor Obama came in, we voted him in and then the Senate that blocked every possible thing that he could ever want to have happen for us. And they voted no, 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 just like they did with this new justice. So they won't even vote. So how can Bernie possibly come in and offer free college and free medical, la, la, la? You know, and we're fools if we think that can occur. Do you understand? I understand totally. And, you know, it's another thing. I was, I, I don't know, I've been, I, I'm not normally a political activist. And in this case, yeah, I'm not it's... either, but I'm, but I'm more aware than ever before. And, you know, I think that's the, well, that's the beautiful, beautiful part. We've exaggerated that. points of view that have brought us to a point of awareness that is actually quite positive. Right. More and more people you know. start thinking about this, you know, and then, you know, Hillary's definitely been trained and is brilliant enough, but there's something there in her that I've been watching that seems extremely drained. And oh, I, her voice. I mean, when Bill Clinton was in St. Louis, his voice was gone, and then her voice was just off the charts, chalk on, you know, nails on a chalkboard for a while. And and then she must have someone coaching her because the last couple of times I've heard her talk, she's changed her tone. Like, yeah, I and, and I thought, oh, I wanted to offer a healing session. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds terrible. Well, let's, but see then I was, the, let's see what the cards yeah, have to you, say. Yeah. Yeah, okay, let's great. pull a card for Hillary got the Queen of Swords reversed. This is a wonderfully brilliant woman 
who has tremendous leadership ability, yet she has a lot of anger, and that's getting in her way. Okay, now Bernie. Bernie is here as a minister of change, which we already know we got the five of wands for him. Now let's look at the, uh, what's his name, that guy from Texas? I Cruz. tell everybody. Krug. Cruz. Cruz. Yeah. So we got the ten of coins for him, which is actually a very good card that deals with um, financial success. And now let's look at Trump. Trump, interesting. We've got the ten of swords. He's here for us to put the pain of the past behind us. So, I mean, all of them look very good and interesting. And Kasich, Kasich, Kasich is 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 sweet, but he's more of the old guard, and I don't think he has the oomph to get it. Um, but I I like a lot of what he says. But you know, this is you know they're saying, too. yeah. I mean, but they're saying you know he's messing up the numbers because you know. But but I don't know. I think he's waiting to see how things go. But you know, it's interesting. I was wa- I've been watching international news. I always watch it, but I found another source. And so I was listening and I thought, "Oh my goodness, if we just did this, we'd have more than enough money to pay for colleges and all kinds of other things." Um they were it was this gal from India who is a news reporter in the US, but you know, she had this beautiful melodic, you know, Hindu voice in English. And yeah. she was talking about how the biggest problem that we have here in the United States is the states like Nevada and I forget the other one she said, where you can incorporate and you don't have to disclose who your officers officers are, you don't have to disclose anything about your business at all. You can just register these corporations and this is where the money is going and the banks are in collusion. So the money is going out of the U.S. offshore and, you know, that no taxes are being paid in our country. And so who's paying the taxes, yeah. you know, the, the everyday people. And so I think, you know, I was I kept wondering, like, how is Bernie going to pay for all this? You know, but that was one of the, well, he normally the doesn't talk about it. take it from the rich people. Right, but They're that's gonna... not the solution, I don't think. I mean, I, yes, it needs to be no, but it, balanced. it's his solution. Right, it's right. Not but be I just listen taxes. Yeah, yeah, but but I think people, you know, we're ready for change, and I think that's the young people, the millennials, you know, these millennials that are like these young people. I was just reading an article on, you know, they're not buying houses like they like they used to. They're they're living in their parents' houses, paying off their student debt. You know, they it's a whole different generation, and they and they, you know, and part of like buying into the house is what supports the American Almighty Dollar, because then they buy furniture, and then they buy this, and then they buy that. And it's like all part of the American dream, and it's they're not buying houses; they're just waiting until like three and four years later, and it's throwing the whole schism off. And yet, Bernie Sanders is making has has donate more donations per day. It, it's uh, it's unimaginable, like the millions that are coming in, and they're almost all from $25 contributions, and the people are being inspired, and they're sending in $25 two or three well, times a month, and they're and they're the millennials, these kids. That's how Obama made it, the same way. Right, 
Right, right. Social media and et cetera. So oh, I don't know. So I think if nothing is, else, though, it's, I think it's wonderful, but I'm worried that Bernie's going to get there and they're all going to say no and they'll vote against him just like they did with Obama. Then we have another eight years of a Mexican standoff, so to speak. Right. But I understand. But that's interesting that a dark horse could come in of a of a of a good vibration or a low vibration. I, it wouldn't surprise me. Know. I feel like we haven't seen it all yet. Oh my gosh. No. Okay. So Beatrix, we have we have a couple more minutes. And what other words of wisdom with our our fabulous new moon coming up? Any suggestions on you know you know for for well, this you know because people moon look, is a, is about leadership so. Because Aries is always about leadership, so maybe what we want to do is make some um, things on our manifest list for our country, that our country manifests a leader that is effective in, you know, leading people to a more inspired point of view of life, you know, or something like that. Because you're supposed to write on the new moon, you're supposed to write your wish list for your yourself, your children, your family, your community, and your country. So it would be a wonderful time for everybody to um, go forward with this and hold the space for a true leader to come forward. Okay, that is, well, those are fabulous final words. Have yeah, you final. looked at the, have you seen how they did in Wisconsin? You know is what, I've been on the radio since wind? 7 o'clock. I've been on the radio since 7 o'clock before that I was doing a real estate contract. So no, I even, I, that's where I'm going next. But um, but listeners, this is Cindy Meyer, and this is my, um, you're hearing Beatrix Quintana, who is the, my wonderful guest the first Tuesday of each and every month. This is a devotion. She has been on this path for as long as I, you know, I, she's done this work for a long time. She's a spiritual dynamic inspirer. She motivates us. She gets us going with the moon cycles. She uh, creates this beautiful jewelry. And you can see all of this through her website and on her Facebook page, Beatrix.com, B-E-A-T-R-E-X.com. And um, please send us an email asking to be added to the Spirit Seeker email list. Just send it to info at spiritseeker.com. Read the magazine. Let other people know about this radio show. This is spiritual nourishment, and it's all free for your easy access. Um, if you if you're on our email list, we you know, we'll let you know about who the guests are on the radio show when the magazine's online and the things that Cindy Meyer is up to. Okay, and Beatrix, thank you so much for being my guest. We'll go see what's happening in the Wisconsin, you know, world. (laughs) New York's next, so it's fascinating times. Okay, well, thank you, everyone, and have a fabulous week. We'll we'll be back next week. Thanks, Beatrix. Much love. Okay, bye.